Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie. How are we this week? We're good. How are we this week? Yeah, that was weird, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, we're good. Yeah, good. Tell me about your week. Well, um, we're nearly back. Tomorrow school goes back. So when this goes live, you will be in a frantic state getting I'll the lunch I'll be in a G-string ready. on the beach. No, <laughs> yes, I will be in the kitchen making those lunches. If I'm smart enough, I would have made them the night before, but we'll see how it goes. Why change now? Why change now? <laughs> but that wasn't... As a non-school mum, yeah. what's harder, school holidays or the routine of school? The routine of school. because harder. Well, yeah, because you've always got to make sure that you're, you know, you've got the lunches ready to go, you're out the door by a certain time, everyone, like if you care about people making their beds like I do. Oh, God, I don't even Well, I just mine. do them myself. Yeah. But those sort of things are harder. When at school holidays it's like easy because you're at your leisure when you want to drop the other child off at daycare or if they're all home you let them all just go wild. But there's so much time together that it just gets stir crazy. And tell me, like I have a child that is, I've got two, um, that is very particular about what she wears and I'm really looking forward to school Mm. uniform. Does that make things easier? Because I feel like every morning it's like I'll, you know, I'll be like, oh, okay, well, you wanted to wear this yesterday so, like, let's put that, no, no, I need this specific thing that's in the wash that doesn't exist that we've never purchased before, you know, like as to school uniforms make it easier. So much easier because they're like one day Mia said to me, oh, God, I just wish we wouldn't have to wear a school uniform. And I'm like, why? And she's like, oh, because I've just got to like keep finding the pants that I have to wear. I'm like, imagine not having the exact same uniform to wear every single day and you had to choose a brand new outfit that you wanted to wear and like Billy would have a meltdown 100% every day about what she was wearing and it kind of just, and it also makes like everyone equal. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you just go, you're all wearing the same thing. You don't have to think about it. Yeah. Even like, I try and do the whole, no, you're not allowed to wear like a costume to daycare. And they are allowed. Yeah. But I'm like, I just Give feel like break. I need to set some boundaries. Break. Otherwise, literally, they'll wear none of their clothes and they'll just be adorned in polyester and chul every day of their life. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to the school uniform. Nothing well, else about school, just the school uniform. Well, speaking of costume, I went and saw a cabaret show last night and it was really rude. It's actually called Cheeky Cabaret. Mm. It was really cheeky. Rude as in like entertaining rude or rude as in like not okay rude? No, rude as, well, you guys decide. So this lady, fabulous woman, she was like a clown, right? But she Mm. walks straight through the audience turns to an older lady and an older man and I see his eyes look straight down 
at her naughty part, right? And I'm her like, vagina. Yeah, I just thought I was going to get in trouble for saying it wrong. So I was yeah, like, you've never said vagina. It. Oh, so, right, you yeah, yeah, you yeah. said vulva or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're always getting in trouble. And anyway, so he looks at her, and I'm like, oh, what a little pervert. Anyway, she gets up on stage, turns around, she's wearing no pants. She's got no undies on. Oh, so he literally was looking at her vagina. Literally. It, like her, Sorry, vulva. <laughs> yeah, her, her, her every bit was out and then her boobs were out and then she gets some paint, like I'm assuming it's going to be the paint that, you know, washes well because she just plops it onto her vagina and it's red and then gets sheets and starts like painting, painting, like just pops it up there like an autograph and then just starts handing them out in the audience. Did you get one? Yeah, it just started handing back all these different like shots of her vagina with paint. And some people were like, oh, I'm not touching that. Other people were like, yeah, this is great. It was, I was more like interested in the reaction of the older generation mm. watching it. Like that is where mm. I was at because I was like, if, like imagine being, next to your mom or your grandpa, like in that situation, it would be really awkward. Mm. It could be really awkward. Absolutely. But did they not know what they were getting themselves in for? I don't know. Like it just, I just don't think that a night at the cabaret would be something that I'd ask to attend with my grandfather. Yeah, well, that's true. But there were people there, like there was a whole family there that was cousins, there was uncles, <laughs> there was, I think there was the a whole stepdad. family tree. My friend next to me was like, you literally have sat here for 20 <laughs> minutes before the show started and worked out everyone's life. I'm like, but I'm I was like- talking to someone else the other day, actually on out on the plane to Melbourne, and they were saying they'd been to like a magic mic type thing mm, for, yeah. uh, for someone's 21st yeah. birthday. And they said hi. Half of the enjoyment of it was watching the crowd and they said there was this real cringe thing where there were some ladies there on their hands and so they'd get called up but they'd be acting super thirsty and like really serious and getting into it and she's like the guy didn't actually like want to pick you he just (laughs) had to pick you because your name was on the sheet you know like it's like and then others would have fun with it but there was like some people who were acting like oh yeah like you know, I was his first choice. He wants to grind on me. And it's like, no, no, literally your seat number was on a sheet. But then in the second act, she pulled out this little, like, I'm going to say it's like a diaphragm and in it was paint again. And she poured the paint into her wine glass and then sculled it back. And at this stage, I was holding my cheeks like this. Like I'm all into like weird, crazy stuff. But this was like kind of making me gag. Wait, what was in it? Like, like, like it was supposed to be period. Like that was the Uh, arty thing that she was going with. Anyway, look, it was. (laughs) Can I not? It's not a diaphragm. It's a moon cup. But I saw a friend on the weekend, and I won't name any names. So a moon cup is like that catches your period, whereas a diaphragm is like a female condom. Oh. So it's probably a moon cup yeah. if, if it's a period yeah, type yeah, 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 situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, won't name any names, but I've got a friend who is pregnant 
And she said, oh, you know. It's like, not me. It's not you. And she's like, oh, you know, like we weren't that many months into trying, but um, I was getting really over having sex. And she's like, I was like, oh, I need to take a different approach today because I just don't want to have sex. So she got her partner to come in a moon cup and then put the moon cup up and suctioned it on like she had her period because it like suctions on to like kind of like it makes a suction at kind of the end of your cervix. Hang on, was she trying to fall pregnant? She was trying to fall pregnant. Oh, and couldn't be bothered having sex. And couldn't sex. be bothered having sex. So, so she got cup. into cup in the moon cup <laughs> and put the moon cup inside herself <sighs> and then went to work and it was stuck and she couldn't get it out and she's at work trying to get this thing out, couldn't, had to leave work early, <laughs> go home and get her partner. Didn't she just have to get a finger? And like- yeah, but sometimes the suction's real good. I don't know, maybe the sperm acted like glue. I don't know. Had to get her partner to help her take it out. She's like, I thought I was going to have to go to hospital. Listen to this. Imagine if you rocked up at ED and you were like, oh, I need help, like my moon cup's stuck. Like I'm sure you're not the first person to go in with that like that would have happened but then you have to explain to them oh no 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 no! I don't have, have my, my period. period it's full of sperm and that's why it's stuck probably well who knows but I was like oh my god that is like some weird turkey based shit <laughs> like you know how I had a go at you because after and like three on. months of trying you were looking at yeah, DIY yeah, yeah, yeah. turkey basters but now she's, she's pregnant she's pregnant so not from the moon cup <laughs> I don't think I'm you not know. putting this out there as a recommendation that's it this podcast is sponsored by <laughs> moon cups <laughs> to get you pregnant yes. yeah so anyway I'm not recommending it she nearly ended up in a very embarrassing situation <laughs> Oh, shit. Oh, anyway. So your rude or fabulous is your cheeky cabaret. My rude or fabulous is the moon cup story. Oh, my God. That's classic. That's absolutely classic. Any highs or lows of the week? Um, Well, highs going back to school and lows. I feel like I just need to just share. Oh. Yeah, like. Oh, fuck, I'm scared. I hate when you give stuff to me live. No, but I just feel like I I win. I'm not whinge a lot, but I talk, not talk negatively. I sort of whinge a lot, I guess, about the fact that, you know, like kids are hard and blah, blah, blah. And last night I had this overwhelming sensation of like how much I absolutely love my kids. There must be something in the air. Oh, fuck. I was having the set, like, and I know that shouldn't be so surprising. (laughs) We're like, oh, my God, we love our children. It must be some kind of super moon. It was the moon. It was a full moon. But I was flying back from Melbourne yesterday. My kids were being so good. Not saying they have to be on their best behaviour to love them, but, you know, really helps yeah. with brownie points. Mine were asleep when I, I looked at them. I literally reached across the aisle and grabbed Nick's arm and was just like, how fucking lucky are we? There's something in the air because this is rare that both of us are vibing off our children. I know. We don't time. usually do that at the same time. But I did. I just sort of like was taking – it was like – it was kind of like Ryan and Marissa and the OC without like the death part. It was more like me what? carrying carrying the child to the bed and like in that walk down the hallway I was more like, oh, God, I love it's you. Tijuana, it's yeah. Tiagra. <laughs> Laugh. That's the high pitched laugh that they never hear, but you hear. Oh. 
Okay. I haven't laughed like that in a while. I've been in the trenches, everyone, and I've not laughed like that in a while. Oh, God. This is probably so annoying to listen to. Anyway, please go back to your OC analogy. Okay, sorry. So when I was walking down the hallway and I was cuddling her, I felt like I was going really slow and embracing the moment. And I was just like... I don't know, my, I was just really full of love and I popped her to bed. Now it sounds really dramatic. It really wasn't. And then I, grabbed, I love how you're justifying why it was a nice thing and why you love your child. That's really sad. And then I picked the other one up and I popped her into bed and I was just like, I had the other one. She was already in bed and I just sort of went around and kissed them all and I was just like, I think we have had a, we had a really good weekend. We mm. literally did pretty much nothing. We spent time with all of us together and we just spent it outside. Like yeah. we made a point of saying, hey, we're not going to do iPads this weekend. It's a sunny day. We're going to go out and we're just going to watch you guys do cartwheels and do what you want to do. Harry wanted to cook something on the barbecue. I wanted to read a book. And I don't know, it that, that in itself obviously filled up my cup. I think you're also stepping into another realm of parenting. Like I know that Yumi's still like how old is she? Oh, she's three Three and and a half. half. But like, and I'm not saying that's not challenging, but you are moving into that. Mm. Like obviously I can now parent Poppy, who's four and a half, so much differently to how I parent Goldie, who's two and a half, and how it is when they're even younger than that. It's just like a... Well, it's different, They're like right? a mate as well as your child. And it's more like I can, like, I also thought because Harry had, he had something to do on the weekend, I was like, I could take all of you out to lunch, really. Mm. Like, you're almost all okay. Like, it would yeah. still be a nightmare. Yeah. But I'd almost enjoy myself. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. I almost <laughs> would enjoy that. And then I was like, nah, it's silly. I'm going to stay home and get the sausage rolls. <laughs> All right, we're going to get into today's episode. It's a bit more of a serious one, but I absolutely loved recording this. This is probably one of my favourite episodes that we've ever recorded. We chatted to the beautiful Brooke, who's who also lives in the Byron area. She talks about the journey of losing her husband to cancer and then having her daughter soon after diagnosed with cancer. Um, That's kind of all we're going to say. Brooke can get into telling her own story. But, yeah, I I think that even if you've never been through something like this, like touch wood, I haven't, I gained so much from this chat in terms of life perspective, grief, helping others, having compassion for others. Yeah. Yeah, this woman is an absolute, like, I was in tears throughout this Mm. episode and when I listened to the edit, I messaged Sophie and I messaged Brooke and I said, this has got to be one of my favourite episodes Mm. and it's not for what she was talking about and, you know, like that she's had a lot of experiences with death and, and sickness and it was more of the fact that she... Like there, I think everyone would get something out of this episode. Like Mm. everything she said is for anyone. Mm. So, yeah, we hope you enjoy. Hello, Brooke. Thank you so much for joining us in the Potty Pod today. Uh, For those that don't know you, are you able to tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Hello, everybody, beautiful listeners. My name is Brooke and I am a very proud single mummy to a beautiful girl named Peachy. Now, your story is, I guess, a very special story. We feel 
an immense amount of privilege mm. that you have trusted us with your story. Oh. You reached out to us yeah. and we it is an honour to have you here because it's kind of a story that I've watched from afar and I'm sure a lot of people have. Can you take us back to where it kind of began? Like when did you first meet Joel? Oh, okay. So firstly, thank you for having me on. Pleasure. And I feel like it is quite cathartic for me to be doing this. Mm. A lot of people, especially locally, kind of know my story, obviously from afar, but it feels nice to be talking about it. And today is actually the um, second anniversary of Joel's passing, so I feel like it kind of rings true. So I just want to talk about it and um, I guess break down those barriers of people being alone going through something traumatic and realising that it's okay and everything will be fine. And I met Joel through a friend. So I was living with a girlfriend in Bellevue Hill in New South Wales and she subletted her room out to a mutual friend of ours over Christmas and I was on a boy ban. That always works, doesn't it, when you're on a boy ban and you're like, I hate men, never going to (laughs) happen. And then she was like, you really need to meet one of my, like my boyfriend's friends. He's from New Zealand. He lives in Melbourne. And I was like, oh, all of these things are just going down the gurgler. Like, you know, I was like, no, I'm not doing it. She showed me a photo. And I almost crashed my car. Like we were driving and I just had to like swing in. I just stared at the phone and was just like, oh, my God, you're so delicious. How is this real? Stuff that boy band. Let's yeah, get it. Yeah, yeah. Like, boy band over. I was like, and I'm moving to Melbourne. <laughs> 100%. So I was like. I'm not shallow or anything. No. He's probably a complete dick. But. I was like, no, I'm in. I was like, I'm finishing work early. I feel sick. I'm not going into work today. I'm going to go get champagne. Yeah. So anyway, I messaged him or he messaged me. We were, it's a bit debatable. It was probably me. Friended him on Facebook. Anyway, so I flew to Melbourne for our first date. What, you had not met at all? No, we just chatted for ages over Christmas. And my mum was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm going to Melbourne for our first date. And she goes, he could be like Ivan Milat. He could be, <laughs> he could be an axe murderer. But he's hot, mum. I was like, don't care. <laughs> don't care. Anyway, so I told I told Joel that on our first date and then my mum messaged me and he grabbed my phone and wrote back just going, it's Ivan, she's, she's, like, <laughs> she's all good with me, you know. And then a couple of months later I moved to Melbourne to be with him and on our first date he told me that he had a brain tumour. Oh, so he already knew. Mm, yeah, he already knew but it was stable. So he'd had treatment previously and it had not grown, it was just existing with him. And how old were you two at this time? I'm going to say like 34, Mm. 33, 34. He was younger. And when did he find out, like before you, when he had a tumour? A few years before. Right. So he'd done chemo or he'd done radiation and it was in a space in the brain in which back in the day it just wasn't a comfortable position for them to kind of go in and take it out when he was first diagnosed because, you know, there was a chance that he would be paralysed or, you know, something a bit more dangerous. So they kind of just left it. And it was at that point in time not really a worry, you know, until a few years later. And then what happened? So we were in Melbourne and we would go for regular scans because that's what happens. And then he'd have an MRI and then we'd go and see the oncologist and then we were sitting there just like we'd done a few of them and then they just said, you know, like, we're so sorry, but it's the tumour started to grow. And I just feel like at that moment I didn't, I was just like, what does this, what does this even mean? Like, 
I'd stepped into the role of being his, you know, emotional space and holding things for him and, you know, holding him through his trauma and his his mental anguish and how he felt and his emotions and I was just there and then I was like, this is actually fucking real, you know, like this man is the, the love of my life and I just can't believe that this is happening. Like what do we do from here? You know, I'd never, I'd never been in that position, so I had to learn really quickly. How long were you together when this news came? About a year. Wow. Yeah, and then so we did chemo at home, and he could do it. It's a very different chemo to intravenous chemo. He had chemo at home, right? And we did that for a few cycles. And was he still as sick as what? He was working on the job site. Like he was just the most stoic man. He'd just get up and go to work. I was like, he'd take his chemo pills and go to work. Wow. I was like, what? Who are you? And when you saw the oncologist and they said it had started to grow, mm. was the news like, you know, were you starting chemo because you thought things were going to get back under control or mm. did it seem like bad no. from the start? It never felt at that point in time, it just felt like, oh, shit, he's going to have yeah. to do chemo. That's a bit of a setback. Yeah. It was yeah. never like, oh, God, like yeah. this is something we really mm. need to like shit our pants about kind of thing. And then what happened from there? And then we were trialling a couple of different chemos and then we kind of got it under control and it was like, okay, cool, this scan's showing it's not growing, let's just keep an eye on it, we're all good. And we're like, okay, yay, so we move up here because I'm originally from here and so we were like, we need to change. So we moved back up here and then shortly after he had, we had to do more chemo again and it started growing again, but it was just like ever so slightly. There was just a whisper, kind of looked like a weather pattern and then you get these little wisps around and I was like, oh, God, okay, here we go. Yeah, and then we were told that he had like uh, three months to live or two months to live. You know, at that, and that was a new oncologist at um, another hospital. I was like, surely there's something you can do. Like, can we do more radiation? It's been seven years. So, you know, Bobby goes, mm. I've got no more tricks in my bag and gestured to like a fake bag on the ground. Like, huzzah, I've got no more tricks in my bag up my sleeve for you kind of thing. And I was just like, you piece of shit. Mm. <laughs> and then I didn't back down. I just became ravenous. Like I became like a feral animal, not taking no for an answer. You know, I'm not doing that. And he needs that from me because he was such a, he's such a gentle soul that he needed someone strong to just drive that bus. And, and fight for him. Fight for him. You he know? probably didn't want to inconvenience anyone. Yeah. That was his thing. And in, in this time, did he ever feel unwell? How did he find out? Scans. And, like, was there any headaches that he yeah, had? always. So always had big always headaches. kind of scattery, kind of like memory. It's a very evil disease. But they never said that it was going to be life-threatening. It was just probably something that he would need chemo. Yeah. You know, I think we always knew that, we always did know that Joel would leave us earlier than, you know, most of us. But I just, we just didn't think it would be. Like that. And what was the type of brain tumour? He had an oligodendrioma. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So he was told that. And then at the time I worked for a beautiful brand, I worked for Spell in Byron, and it was just like power on. Like they just collected everything in me to push us forward. And Joel, we felt so supported and lifted. 
They did a huge fundraiser. You know, it was just like, oh, my God, this is amazing because in that time I was working hard on getting him something. So we went and saw Charlie Teo in Sydney and, you know, Joel had a choice and it was kind of like, well, you either have this surgery, you know, we need to get it out. We need to get this thing out and whatever we've got left to deal with, we'll deal with it. We just need to get this thing out of your body, to get out of your mind, Mm. just get it away. So we did that and we had like a week's space and he proposed to me in that time because he didn't want to, if anything happened in surgery, he didn't want to make me feel like, you know, he wanted me to know how much that he loved me. But he was also carrying a lot of guilt to propose to me because he thought that if he did pass or something happened that, the, you know, it was just that. It's like another layer. Bless his locks. He was yeah. such a beautiful man. And so, yeah, we did that. And then so we flew to Sydney with my parents and Joel's parents and he had the surgery and, yeah, he did wake up partially paralysed down his left side and a completely different person. Um, Personality-wise. Yeah. Really? In what yeah. way? How when can you, you describe it? And were you expecting that? I just was wanted him alive. Okay. You know, like I wasn't, I was expecting partial, maybe partial paralysis and whatnot, but I don't think I, at that moment leading up to it, really did a deep dive into what all the other things could be. I just wanted him breathing, you know, to be with me. Mm. That's all I wanted. It's all I cared about. And so any of the other things, I was like, it doesn't matter. We'll work on it. And if it doesn't work, it's fine. We'll make it work. You know, like it was just like, you just need to be here with me and be here with your friends and family, you know. Um, His personality was just, you know, when you go in and tinker with someone's brain, you know, you're going to touch some nerves. You're going to, you're going to, I can't believe that people go in and do that. It's just hectic. And I think I'm smart because I learned the words to WAP. (laughs) <laughs> you know? Girl, you are. That you are is. That is very, right? I can't very do hard. that. You know, and then I'm like, I've got this. I'm, I'm a queen, you know, and then it's like, no, you're not. Yeah, brain surgeons are. <laughs> oh, any surgeons really. Was that the hard, was the change in personality the yeah, hardest thing? it was because yeah. I just, I know him and, and also him walking, you know, like don't ever like underestimate what that does mm. to a man's self-esteem and his pride and not being able to provide he couldn't work he was just like so he'd tinker in the garden and he'd do things and he bloody hell it took him not long and he's so determined and so driven that we got him walking he had a cool cane we got one on etsy you know with like a lion like a skull kind of thing like you know like like, a young man yeah like yeah totally he was a baller walking around (laughs) mullen with his gold cane i was like that's awesome his his pimp cane yeah yeah yeah, you know yeah, and then he, we just lived, you know, and whatever happened, happened, we did, you know, acupuncture and it helped. And so at that point in time, we were like, oh, my God, he doesn't have a tumour anymore. He's cancer-free. And he's, it was that it the was, reality? It was like there was, yeah, the, the, uh, the tumour had gone, you know, and we were like, oh, my God. We went back to Charlie Teo for scans, you know, and each time you absolutely crap yourself leading yeah, up to God. it. Your anxiety is through yeah. the roof because you're like, what's going to happen next? And then Charlie said, look at this. You've got the most beautiful brain. Like, it's not, you know, fast forward to a year and in that space of time we got married and we had Peachy. So it must have been two years because we got married and had Peachy. 
What was it like making the decision to have a baby? Like, did you think he was cancer free? So it's like, yeah. it's like having a baby with anyone? Or yeah. was it like, oh, there's a high chance that I'm going to be doing this by myself? I think at that point, I didn't think, I, I like, I, I didn't think of the negative. Yeah. I was like, okay, we had his sperm frozen when we first found out, you know, his tumor was active again back in Melbourne. And then we had his sperm tested and it was completely fine. Wow. So I was like, this is it. We're doing it. We spoke about it on the honeymoon. I was like, I'm ready. Let's do yeah. this. And he was like, absolutely, let's do it. We fell pregnant. We lost the baby. And then we started again, like literally the next moment. And we were extremely lucky enough to, you know, fall pregnant again. And then Peachy, then that little nugget appeared and... Our lives were just forever changed. And how was your birth? Fucking horrific. <laughs> my God. I watched my sister-in-law give birth breach. Oh, my. Breach with no medication. And she was just. She sneezed, didn't she? <gasps> it blows my mind how people do that. I was like, you t- you are just such a rainbow puff. Like, how are you doing this? And then I was just like, give me the happy girl. Like. You know, it came quick and fast. Like the the contractions were just so, she was just wanted it. Like she was like, and then she's just like that now. There was no like, there was no rhythm. There was no pattern. It was just like hectic. I'm going to have a spew and give me an epidural kind of thing. And then she kind of got stuck a little bit. So then we had to have an emergency C. So I had the best of both worlds pretty much. It was a such a good time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And how was Joel physically at this stage? Amazing. He was really good. He just had a cool little swagger to him. Yeah. You know, like there was just a swag to the way he walked and that was incredible. You know, his mental, his mental space had cleared. You know, they, they think they said years ago that the brain can never repair itself and it definitely can, yeah. you know. Like he was back to his <laughs> jazzy ways. He's just... And I wonder how empowering he would have felt to be able to be there for you in such a vulnerable time. yeah, totally, totally. You should have seen him. Oh, my God. And then so he was just, you could just see it. Like he was forever changed, you know. He was married. He didn't have the worries of a brain tumour anymore, you know. Like he he used to have seizures all the time especially anxiety-based seizures too. So he would just feel himself maybe having a seizure and talk himself into having one, you know. So social social scenes for us weren't a thing. I would talk him into going into like a coffee shop and ordering a coffee, you know, like it was really difficult for him. So I kind of took the reins from that without saying it because you don't want him to feel... More anxious than he already is. Or emasculated or mm. like anything like that. You want him to feel empowered so I'll be like oh no no I'll just go in and get it you know I'll be quick or you know just so he never had to feel that feeling yeah but holding peachy was just his you should have seen his face oh so proud she looked just like him too well she still does but yeah no it was a beautiful moment is that like no like so like she I think she's come she's turning into like the perfect mix of both but it is sometimes I'll be driving and I look back and she'll be looking at me and I, I was like, hello, Joel. I've <laughs> <laughs> popped your little head in to say hello. Yeah. You know, like she has this furrowed brow that she does and she's so, yeah, she's just, she's very him. She's very determined. And then she's got my stuff too. 
all my stuff that I have. Which seems pretty determined too. <laughs> She's got a double dose of determination. Sass, but without without precociousness, you know, like she's And then here. how long after Peachy's birth until Joel became unwell again? Nine months um, until we lost him. So did you go back for a scan and? Yeah, we went back for a six-month scan. He wasn't having many seizures. Then all of a sudden one day he had this seizure and it wasn't like any other seizure he'd ever had. It was he would usually be able to control it. He'd just be down his left side. This one was a full body contortion situation and it and it wouldn't stop. It just kept like electrifying itself. And I was like, no matter what I did, it wouldn't kind of stop itself. It was a completely different seizure. And so I was holding Peachy and I was trying to like, you know, calm him down. And then, then he blacked out. And then he kind of came to and he was not right, like he was not himself. And I was like, baby, you okay? And he was like, kind of like, who are you type thing. And I was like, oh, my God. And my mum was around the corner at work. And I rung her and I said, I don't know what's happened to Joel. He's just had a seizure and I feel like he's had a stroke or something because part of his face had changed, like it was just slightly you know, just, just looked a bit different. And I was like, mummy's not responsible. Like, he doesn't know who I am, you know, and she was like, what? She came over, she took Peachy and she looked at him and she was like, hey, Charlie, and he was like, who are you kind of thing? And she said, get him in the car now mm. and take him to emergency. So we did. Got in the car and he goes, whose car is this? Oh, wow. Like, when did you buy this car? And I was like, oh, that's okay. That's all right, babe. That's fine. Just just chill. It's all good. We're just going to go for a little drive and went to the hospital. And then we, we yeah, had scans and they were like, look, yes, the tumour is back, but it's come back in a different place and it's like a stage three, stage four. So then we were like, okay, can Charlie operate on it again? Like I was like a bully gate again. Mm-hmm. Only this time I had the force and the power of Peachy. To, Who to, was a few months old. Yeah. To just keep it going, I was like, I can't believe this is happening again. I just can't. And I was like, no, this is the reason why. This is like, this is going to be your force. Like, this is it. This is it. And it was medicine for him, but it was my, my coke. I don't know what you say, but it was just like my thing to just drive me, like to do whatever I could. We had meetings with uh, Charlie Teo and he was just like, I'm so sorry. It's just like trying to close the gate after the horses I've already bolted mm. you know and I'm, I'm sorry but even if we do surgery is too far down into the brain that you probably won't wake up you know so from that time when he was re-diagnosed he was about to start chemo again and I remember the day so clearly and it was my last day of like sunshine with him you know like we went to Nuri Bar Merchants to buy his mom a birthday gift They'd flown in to help with the key. He was about to start chemo again. They'd rented an Airbnb in Brunswick and we were about to pack the bag and he was in the spare room and he just said, oh, because he was such a gentle dude, but his thing was UFC. Mm. Like, what the hell is it? Oh, look, I've got... It's just like UFC. I'm just going to watch a quick fight. And I'm like, oh, okay, pack... All right, I'll pack the bag. And then I hear him and he I was feeding Peachy and he goes, babe, I'm having a seizure. And I ran in 
And it was like a seizure that just kept sparking, like electric currents just kept sparking and it wouldn't stop. And I called his parents, I called the ambulance, I called my parents and it took, you know, two ambulances and four guys to sedate him because it, he, his brain wouldn't stop seizing. It was just like just kept seizing so it just kept feeding off itself like electric currents kind of thing and then that was he like he'd bitten through his tongue and it was just brutal and that was the last time he was at home. And so when he went into hospital is that when they gave you the indication that there's only going to be yeah x amount of time with him? Yeah so he was in ICU and they did some scans and whatnot and then they asked John and I so Joel's dad to go into a room and have a chat and I thought they were going to just have a chat to us about the plan of attack of getting chemo and whatnot kind of thing and they were like look we're about to put him in like a self like a coma and because we can't stop his brain current from like we can't stop the seizures so we need to re almost like reset the brain so we need to put him in a coma it'll take a few days and once he comes out of it we'll know what we've got, you know, and it, it was the worst three, like few days of our lives because it was like, what are we waking up to? Or will he wake up? And he never properly woke up. Oh. So we were then told that he, we, it could be a few days, it could be a few weeks, left with him. And he had to stay there well, or did you have no. to take so, him home? Yeah, or? they had it. He'd had previous triggers from that hospital. Mm. So I was like, no way in this shape, way or form or anything like that that he's going to leave this world in this hospital knowing what I know of what he thinks. Like, mm. So I went and looked at a hospice place. Oh, gosh, no. He was way too young. He was a... Yeah. There's too, such a gap in... Yeah. There is such a gap. There yeah. is such a gap between, yeah, you know what I mean? Like mm. leaving in a funky way. Yep. Then leaving, you know, in a diff- it's a different, totally different, and it, yeah, it's quite frustrating. So I ended up kind of being at home, and I was like, "Where? What am I going to do here?" Because it's like I can't facilitate this at home. I can't have a, you know, a nine-month-old with nurses around here with a bed, and he needed everything around him, and it ended up all these, all the drugs that he was on to help him like alleviate what he was going through. There was no way I could facilitate that. As much as I would have, I probably would have if I could have. I didn't realise that Byron Hospital had one, like an area. So we went there and we put him there and he passed, like overlooking the farm, the beautiful sunflowers. He had a beautiful, huge room. We could see him as much as we wanted. Like he could have as many people in as he wanted. He ended up passing away a couple of weeks later on that big red blood moon, 4th of July, Independence Day. What do you do then? You know what? I think you fight and fight and fight for things as humans and as women and men or whoever, whatever. You you fight for your beliefs and you and you fight for your people and you you fight for your love and, and whatnot. And at that moment, I couldn't fight. There was nothing I could do to keep him here. You know, I couldn't go in and change the molecules of his brain to keep him here. I couldn't scream at anyone I couldn't there's nothing I could do that could physically keep him here with us so I had to just breathe and let go I had to let let it go and let it be and then from then I think I was a better person was it like was there relief 
because there was nothing else you could do? It, it was, in a sense. I breathed and I remember exactly where I was and I had Peachy in the car and I'd go in every day and I'd comb his hair and I'd put beard oil in and he had all of his favourite jackets and blankets and played music and he had, you know, he was jazzy. He felt swish. Like he owned it, he felt it, and I know that he felt that love, you know. So it was up to me to sit around by his bedside and bawl my eyes out and mm. make him feel like shit mm. or I could go in and be truly who I am and honour his love the way that he deserved and that's what I did. And it was hard, like, holding her and watching him with her, like, patting her little bum to, like, you know, like, holding her and I had to get his hand and, like, pat her bum yeah. for him, you know, like... And he'd just have just a tear going down, you know. But it was so hard for him to let go. So hard. Oh, far out. Like what help did you have with the grieving process? Or I know like obviously it wasn't a, a sudden thing, so probably the entire time was part of your grieving mm. process. But was there any psychological help that you had to get you through this time? Um, I've got some really real friends and beautiful family, Peachy, and I see an amazing woman in Mullum who helps just connect me back together and connect my dots back together some the way they need to be at that time. So I was seeing her pretty much like every other day-ish during the time and I just, mum would be with Peach for an hour and I'd just sneak in, come back out, like just to help me get that alignment. Yeah. And how do, when you become a single mother, how do you, how do you have the time, space, energy no, to grieve? Just no. I, I do, but not, not when she's there. I never have and I never will. I do and it's usually like at night. She's, it's like she kind of knows I'm feeling it so she'll go to, she'll be a good girl and go to bed early mm-hmm. and I'll just pop a bottle of Pino, put on his music and just... I'll just sit with him, you know, and it's not like so much has happened since he passed, but at that time I don't even know because I'm a different person now to what I was then, you know, so it's like how do I even, how do I just, how do I walk, how do I breathe, how do I, you know, because I think at that it was like that happened. Then I just remembered the doors of the hospital opening and I had Peachy, you know, my mum had Peachy at the house and they were all waiting for me. And the doors opened and I s- remember so firmly the step that I took out and then it was just like whoosh and then reality was just kicking on. Like people were just getting in their car, people yeah. were yelling at each other. Yeah. You know, you go to the farm. I went to the, go on? I went to the farm and got a coffee and I was just standing there just like. Something's happened but no one knows. No one knows. Can people I take your order? People to me, yeah. People bumped in and I was like, oh. Do you know what I'm fucking going through? And of course they can't. No, no. But that's, that's, I think, in those those moments I go, you just be bloody kind, just be so kind to everyone because you just don't know. Absolutely. And I know that it's so, everyone says it, but it's not until you, it's a lived experience that you're like, hey, dude, you know, I've just done that. But the world just goes. And I just remember that. So it was just such a big point of my step was like, okay, I'm stepping in and this is what I'm going to do now. I've got my child and 
I've got no time. And it's not like an excuse for people when they have bad behaviour or someone beeps at you while they're driving mm. by or they're impatient or something's mm. going on. There's, It's almost like how you can cope better as a human being and react when people are totally. going through situations. Yeah. So instead of getting so angry about what someone's done or what they're doing. It's the anger inside of you. It, it really is. And yeah. it's to stop and actually say to yourself, as much as you don't want to hear it, you have fucking no idea yeah. what they're, even if they're, if, even if it's minor, yeah. there's obviously enough yeah. for them to be at a level of discomfort. Yeah, totally. And you have got to let that go and it. not let it don't, react don't, to you. Yeah, don't make it your baggage. No. Just let it go. Don't, don't, don't make their stuff come into your space and invade your ownership of who you are and what you've just done and what you're doing during your day. But I admire you because... Obviously, I've never experienced this, but I just sit there and I think I would be so mad at the world. Like I yeah. would be so angry at everybody. I and I'd look at people. so many times. Oh. Like down below, shave my head and Absolutely. just like play with a wrecking ball. Because why? You know? Mm. And this is this is half of your fucking story. We haven't yeah. even gotten to your second chapter. No. So after the passing of Joel, yeah. Peachy would have been nine months old and nine and a half we had to struggle to get him back home to New Zealand because it was COVID it was thick COVID so they denied me so many times the government because I, it wasn't a significant excuse to get a visa to go into the country like <laughs> I can't even no, I, you I weren't go. going for a fucking haircut <laughs> yeah. like yeah. but this is what happened right yeah you can't go oh, and, and you would be funerals. one of numerous um, stories, yeah. which is yeah. so and this is yeah. the thing it wasn't just you know but at that moment I was like how dare you do you understand it was like okay then we go back again and we reality check mm, ourselves mm. and go there are so many people around the world that are missing their you know like significant ones passing right now like just chill your beans Get it together. Just realigning no, him going, you know. Yeah, no, I'd just be blowing up. Oh, I was blowing <laughs> up. But not to the point of where it was destructive. Yeah. Because that's not going to help anyone. No. And it doesn't help you. When no. you're destructive, I'm Aries. Like, mm. I go. Mm. But it's not going to help anyone. You know, my anger or my sadness or my what if and all those things is very internalised and I've got a really good little thing happening upstairs. It's either that or I'm a complete psychopath. Yeah. But I'm able to Can just. I have some of that? What is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Hey, you just like, you've just got to just work it out. Yes. And then we took, we took him home and he had beautiful send off. And then we came home and then it was reality. How long do people give you? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like because I think that's why some people get scared of like yeah. the funeral because then they're like, oh, once you get past the yeah. funeral, like I'm not saying yeah, within no, no. a week you no. should be expect- like, But like when did you start to feel like people I have it, yeah. to function as a human Look, it's such in a society. hard one, isn't it? Because there's a lot of people that like that have that, okay, up and at him. Yeah. Keep going. Distract You're all yourself. Good. Yeah. He wouldn't want you to cry. Yeah. You've got to keep moving forward, you know. Then there's also people that really love to feel it. Yeah. And that will always stay in that beautiful bubble of sensitivity because that's their safe space. Yeah. If they step out of that, that's reality and it's cold and it's brutal and it's hard. So you're kind of in between your bubble yeah. and you're outside. It's just like a weird 
time, but you definitely get people that kind of go, yeah, but now I'm in a different kettle of fish. Before we move on to the second part of your story, which I just can't, like, fuck the universe. Yeah. um, you know, a lot of people are very scared of grief totally. and I feel like I, yeah. Yeah. I'm i one of those people yeah. that if someone's going through yeah. grief, yeah. I find it uncomfortable totally. and I know that's my own shit and no. I don't put it on no. someone but it can be really hard to know totally. how to help. What are ways yeah. that people actually could help you or things that Do actually you know, made a difference? You know what? I think that like 90% of of well, let's just say 80% are, are petrified of grief. Yeah. yeah. Petrified of what do I say? I say no. Am I going to put my foot in my mouth? I'm going to say the wrong thing. Much, and they're worried no. if they bring it up, like you're going to have been having a good day and it's like there's day. no second of a day that I wasn't thinking about Joel. Totally. Yeah. And I think that that's because, you know, we have a filing cabinet in our brain full of stuff that's triggered you from a very young age. Whether it be, I don't know, someone stole your chicken or like, you know, looking a at bully my chicken as you say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I can see the chicken and that was still random to me. So anyone listening, it'll be even more random. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> like someone took your sandwich or someone bullied you or, you know, you had a boyfriend that was really nasty to you about your body or every moment of these things just get stored away. And then when you are forced with a situation that's way bigger than, than you've ever had before all of a sudden all of those files come out and you're just like in flight you're just you're just vibrating on another level so I think for me when people would come up to me and just own just be you like you don't need to overthink it yeah I think like when you like I've had people come up to me and ball their eyes out and it's appreciated. Yeah. You know, even if I'm having a really good day and not trying to think, it doesn't matter. That person is speaking from their heart yeah. and they genuinely are affected by your story and they're genuinely caring for you and you can see it and you can see it in the way that they walk and they talk and they're trying to connect with you and it is just be gracious. Mm. And for the people that are, are trying to give advice or don't really know what to say or just kind of just stand there, it's completely fine. You know, there's no right, there is nothing that is going to take away anything but just be you, I think. I, I love that filing cabinet oh. analogy that yeah. you just made because yeah. I actually deal with a similar one with anxiety yeah. and past traumas yeah and in this sense it's almost like you need to create a new filing cabinet 100%. of its own yeah that's empty yeah that you can actually now refill totally. with positive that affirmation absolutely so I take files from you know that's what I use and I've got another analogy that I use about driving the bus and it's your personality but I take files from from all the past experience of party bus bus, the big rainbow bus it's that one but you know you take parts out of it and go you know what I did in that situation when I had that guy that treated me like that or didn't call me again or whatever and you learn from that and you go in and go what part of me learned from that Mm -hmm. and what did I learn and then pop it in the good cabinet But it's still difficult to close the cabinet because you're kind of you're trying to collect all your stuff. In it's a, a lot. It's a life, isn't yeah. it? It's a lifetime of yeah. understanding. But you don't get. But you don't understand. Like until you're and in that's your why people sometimes do freak out and have these moments and lash out because they're not sure what it is. But it's your filing cabinet. Hundred percent upstairs. Yep. Single mumming along, fumbling my way through life, just a little shuffle. And I kind of talk to myself a lot. I find that that's just the way that I would deal. 
Um, we moved house because I felt like it was a good time to move. So we had a fresh house. Peachy kept getting constipated, violent and UTIs. I was hmm. like, what is going on? Like, and how, how was is she? this happening? She was maybe one and a half. And I was like, this isn't right. Like, she has the best diet. Like, I give, she has the best hygiene. How dare she get UTIs? Why is she getting UTIs? This is weird. Well, that's very uncommon for very a child, isn't uncommon. it? uncommon. Like, maybe one. But then I went to my doctor probably about a million times. Like, other doctors, I went to pediatricians. Right. No one ordered a blood count. No one ordered a blood test. No one ordered scans. They did a scan of her um, of her bladder and it was fine. But then it just kept happening. And so I had her nappy free at home and my mum was over and she was laying on the lounge and my mum said, what's this lump? And I was like, what lump? She said it was up, it was just kind of near her coccyx. She said, what's that? And I was like, I've never seen that before. And we just looked at each other. It was the look, like the look. You just know. I knew at that moment. You knew it was bad? Yeah. But then I was like, hang on, is that my filing cabinet opening again for no reason whatsoever? Mm. There's no way in the world your child has cancer. Are you kidding me? There's no way. It doesn't happen. Because I think adults will, I feel naive going into it, that I really didn't think that children got cancer. Like I didn't, I knew they did. But I didn't really know to the extent. And if they did, you probably surely your husband like you'd had enough. Surely doesn't have cancer, yeah. and then your given cards of your daughter having cancer. Mm. What yeah. are the chances? Never. So you went. But to- I knew I was like, this shit's not good, Mum. This is not good. She was like, it's okay. It's okay. It's fine. It's probably just a cyst, you know, because mm. it looked like an impact. Like it looked like she'd fallen over at daycare. It was a little slight bruise around it with little, like, you know, when you get you know, the little varigus veins yeah. in your, you know, that kind of was happening. And I was like, okay, surely. Had my best friend over, but we went to um, emergency, had a scan. He goes, yeah, there is something around her spine, but I feel like you should just get it further checked out. They can figure out what it is. And I was like, okay, so I went home. And then my doctor called me and he goes, you actually need to pack a bag and get to the hospital. And I was like, oh, okay. So I packed a bag and we didn't go home for five and a half months. We are in hospital. They did scans and then they came back saying it's a tumour. And then, God, I think, I, yeah, yo, I've definitely blacked out. I couldn't believe it. Then we're in that moment of suspended space where we had to wait for a couple of weeks to find out if it was actually cancerous or whether it was just a tumour. Either way. She was about to go in for really extensive surgeries and a lot of stuff for a little girl. And is is it like the diagnosis she got? Is it at all related? No, like it's not a hereditary no, thing. Nothing, this is like nothing. really fucking bad. Luck. It's nothing. So every oncologist I've spoken to, and I do like to kind of ask a lot of people of a lot of questions. Of Even nurses, I love asking nurses. They're my jam. I love my nurses. They're my go-to for gossip, <laughs> people's salaries in the hospital, you know. Really okay. important stuff. Yeah, real important yeah. stuff, smuggling me nappies. <laughs> or, you know, so and I was like, okay, do you, you think it is? And, you know, and I've got a fantastic oncology team and they're very well, they're just good. And every one of them are like, no, it's not. But then I saw one professor that came in and did rounds around Christmas time and he said, I am 100% certain that it is. 
but I don't think it is because it's in a different place. It was just our journey. And I so how do you go way. into that journey with any <laughs> ounce of positivity yes. when yes. the last time yes. you went through that journey it, it ended in the worst case yes. scenario? Yes. How do you even yeah, no. pretend to yourself to be hopeful? And they're operating on a tiny, oh. tiny baby. Oh, you should have seen what happened, like what they did. Like, uh, and So from, from there we went up to, in an ambulance up to Brisbane and we had to quarantine for two weeks in a, in a hospital room because of, of COVID. No one could come and visit me. So I was sat there with my child who was so sick and, and she was very sick. She was so compacted that it was almost septic. You know, she was very sick. So what what was the cancer affecting? Like so what was it? it? Was, so it ended up being Ewing sarcoma. Yeah. Um, so it was wrapped around her lower sacrum in her spine. So it's like the bit that you sit on, like that underneath bit. So the S1, like the two bits of that, pushing on her bowel and her bladder, hence the constipation and the UTIs. And her sciatic nerves. So one day, oh, the next day after we went to Twee, she couldn't walk and she hasn't walked since because of the nerve damage. But we're getting there. Like she'll, she'll be able to walk again. It's just going to be a long time. So the tumour was 10 centimetres big by 6 centimetres thick. Fucking hell. It was growing in her for, for months and I was treating her with Panadol. That, yeah, that, but how but you that, know? Yeah, but at that moment I went, my, my little girl's a badass. Like yeah. she was growing. She was in so much pain and she was enduring it. Resilient And children. doing that I was like, fuck, if anything, she's got this. I don't have this. No. She's got this, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and it has been that way. She rules the roost and I'm guided by her. Going into a situation in which you know, I did so much work mentally to step away from the Joel experience to then only have to knock on the door and go, hey, can I just borrow a couple of things I've learned along but the way? But this time it's for my child. Yeah. So what happens then? So you can only have so many people tell you it's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, and I think once I said to mum, what if it's fucking not? I don't want you to just say it's going to be okay. What What if it's fucking yeah. not? What the am I going to do with my life my life is over I'm I'm not doing this I'm not doing I don't want to do this you know how can I like what the hell how can I live without my husband and my child like what the hell do you do and it's real like it's your it's your actual life and I was like how is this how is this even happening you know like yeah and then they were saying my oncology team were like it's going to be a really rough year for you but she's going to be okay, you know. I had I had my oncologist come and see me at nine o'clock at night, which makes me think that maybe psychology called her to come and see me. Mm. <laughs> but she came in and Peachy had just gone to sleep, and I remember they gave her this little turtle light that um, they give to all the oncology kids, you know. It was like a little turtle night light, and it was on her bed, and the the moon was coming through, and it was just such a gentle gentle space mm. and she came in and she sat on my makeshift bed and she held my hands and she said your daughter is not going to die and I said okay like how am I the author of these stories like how do I have these stories in front of me and it's not a story like they how is this happening to me 
how am I not supposed to blur these lines? Like how do I not take that and then put it into that but actually get the use of the stories? How do I not blend them when they're quite similar? Mm. How do I, and it's me. You know, the common the common factor in these two stories or these two books is me and it's how I determine how I write it, you know, like how I see it happening, how I, how I do play-by-play play of my emotions and how I keep my shit together and how I... It's your strength. But do you think that at that time, like, did they truly believe she was going, like... Yeah. So where it was, and, I mean, it was huge, obviously. Yeah. It hates cancer. I mean, it hates chemo. So it just it, her protocol is so aggressive. It's almost at the end now, but it's brutal. You so know, she's still having treatment. Yeah. So can you talk us through what the yeah. treatment's like? So she has four different types of chemo. So she'll have like I didn't protocol. even know there was more than one. Oh, I know, right? There's so many. And even another child with Ewing sarcoma can be on a completely different protocol. That's just one type of cancer. There are children in hospital that have to isolate for 60 days in a hospital room when they have bone marrow transplants and the whole family's in there. It's just like you could just can't even, it's a world on its own. I've seen things I shouldn't see. You see the fear in mum and dad's faces walking around all the time as people are just fumbling their way through trying to be brave for their children and it is just so fucked. But it happens every day around the world, childhood cancer, sickness, disease, like, you know, neuro disease. Like, there's just so much going on that you just, people, uh, parents, carers, grandparents going through anything like this are just so incredible. How do you experience that kind of thing and see other people going through that kind of thing and then come back to day-to-day life <laughs> and hear, like, me whinging about something like you know what I mean like how do you not just because punch rel- me in the face no because, it's, no because it's relative to you mm. yeah how who am I to judge what I've been through is my lived experience it means it's to me it's dark like it's it's significant it happened and I can't put it into words as as much as I'm trying to it still doesn't hold value to how much I loved my husband or how much I love my child all those moments where I, I just can't even believe that I'm even still here, you know, like, but it's value to me and you hold value to yourself and your emotions and what happened to you because that's huge. You know, people say to me all the time, oh, I shouldn't say that to you because, well, they're whinging and they go, oh, the guy didn't call me, you know, I thought we really got along and, you know, he still hasn't texted, it's been four days and my girlfriend will go, oh, my God, I shouldn't be saying these to you and I'm like, Why? Yeah. Bring it on. Bring it to me. And it's also like on a scale of like when people have two kids or three yeah. kids, just because I've had a different experience, yeah. like I also don't want to shit on everyone else's totally. parade. Like people are allowed to enjoy it. not saying I don't enjoy having children. Yeah. I'm just saying that people are allowed to have their experiences in any way they totally. can and you don't have to go, oh, but this, this and this happened to me. So, like, you're allowed to just be a I know that's the truth, but I just don't know how you practically, when you have gone through slash uh, continue to go through what you're going through, then get back into life. I think it's actually a relief 
Because I stepped down for uh, not mm. stepped down, not not that I'm on a different higher level or yeah, anything yeah, yeah. like that. It's more like I step through, yeah. and I'm just like, give me all Something of else. that tinder yeah. gossip yeah. right now. Yeah. It's refreshing. What was his nose like? Tell me, what did he order? Like, yeah. I'm in. And yeah. the worst case scenario in that story is there's no second date, and it's yeah. like I, you, I can deal with that. Or worst bad case scenario. Behavior. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that's how. Oh, yes. yes. So that happened to you. And she's like, no, you just don't get it. Like that actually happened. I'm like, nope, that's fine. I'll take that. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> Can't believe that it looked like that. That's so good, you know. Yeah. And then I do step forward and I go through to my my life of, with my child and it's, you know, you have to dip in between the two because if you don't, man, it would be a Too bad heavy. world. And how do you mm. explain to Peachy what she's gone through you know I think I am lucky in the sense that she was diagnosed at an age where she's not going to remember a goddamn thing yeah she's very triggered like it'll she's triggered to the point where we'll turn off at the hospital onto the road and she'll go no mommy Um, no you know but then sometimes different rooms trigger her different things trigger her so we'll do some work on that but she's a groover will she need constant Scanning. scanning yeah so she'll do six or three monthly scans I think for a year and then we'll go to six monthly scans and then from six I don't think she needs so I think it can kind of it's very uncommon for her cancer to okay so they're quite confident just, with that yeah yeah so her protocol is kind of it, it goes in like a, it's a cycle so she'll have vincristine and cyclophosphamide which is two chemos which it runs over an hour but she has to be well hydrated so for nine hours after she has to have full hydration because it will affect her kidney and so is this on a drip yeah so she just has she to has a central there? line in her in her chest inserted and it goes up and down and she has two lumens off it and they just connect the chemo how do you get a toddler <laughs> to sit <laughs> for 10 hours yeah uh, an ipad I was like, I'm not going to be an iPad, mum. I'm not going to be one of those mums. We're going to go and play with crystals and the trees, you oh, know. Oh, Brooke, I'm, then, I am judging you, you terrible like, mother. No, and then I was like, after one day of chemo, I was like, be back in a minute. And I just, just tried, like, <laughs> 120 to JB. What's got, what's got <laughs> the longest battery life? Yeah. I did. Yeah. I did. I was like, just give me a second hand one. I don't care if it's scuffed. Just give me that iPad right now. And it has been the best thing in the world. How are you? Because you yeah. have no one to tag team. You yeah, are, I don't. You are lonely, lonely, yeah, isolated. All of it. Yeah. How like? How are you doing? I don't know, and I like. I am good because I've got Amanda and in, in Mullum who kind of puts me back to it again. But I am forever changed from my last two chapters. You know, I'm I'm so changed, but I'm. I'm actually changed for the better. I'm a different person and I'm really proud of who I am as a person, but I have lost a huge part of myself. I don't, you know, like uh, I've got so many body confidence issues and things like that because I don't have, you know, that I'm not in that realm anymore. I'm in the hospital and I don't have, I'm not out socially. I don't, 
you know, I'm just kind of with Peach. And she tells me I'm pretty, but I don't believe her sometimes. Like she tells me I'm pretty when I'm not looking the best absolutely in the morning. And, and you are like, absolutely we, beautiful. No. And also that's the blessing of children, that they see your beauty oh, for what you are, not for what you're wearing. Mommy's pretty. And I'm like, oh, I bloody love you. She goes, oh, I love you. I love you. And she just pashes me. I said to the nurse, nurses, like, don't call dogs. Like, but I fully pash my child. <laughs> I'm so fine with it. I do. I just get right in there. It's really creepy. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And how, like, I'm just lost for work. Like, how, how do you, like, because this happened in such a short yeah. amount of time like you that your break. entire no. life changed. Like, how do you not go forward yeah. with, like, oh, the totally. fear of, you do. Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah. I just would find... Oh, the slightest symptom in yourself, oh in, in uh, well, your yeah, mum, no, in no, your last like, night I was like, yeah. I've got COVID. I've got, I'm gonna have to. I've got no. The other day I was like thinking, I'm, I was like, I had a owl on my yep. breast. And I was like, I've got breast cancer yeah. now. I'm gonna have to go through chemo. Yep. I've got to look up wigs. What type? What's a really good wig place to go to? Like, yeah. but I didn't. It was just because Peachy was like knocking me on my boob. Yeah, it's like you know. So that's the thing I'm working on at the moment is not to bring those triggers through to leave them where they are but then the the bus analogy comes in where you've got so many different parts of your personality that contribute and make up who you are as a whole you know so you've got the strong you the funny you the quirky you the you know the sensitive you the angry you know there's so many different parts you know and when you wake up in the morning, who needs to drive that bus that day to get you to where you need to get to, mm. to get through That's where brilliant. you need to get to? So today I'm waking and I'm having a moment with myself and I'm feeling super sensitive. Mm. So I'm going to bring the caring book into the equation and give myself some love today and make sure that I feel pretty today. I'll put some nice pants on or like in the night light a candle or you know, do some romance myself and, and give myself props for what I've done. What or a brilliant I'm angry, way to look at it. Or I'm angry, so that's fine. Be angry, but don't maybe go outside. <laughs> Just stay at <laughs> Just home and watch the documentaries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like th- those types of things. Yeah. So it's, it's all about really identifying and really acknowledging who you are and going, how can I be the best version of me? For my child, or for my partner, or for my chickens, or for my how myself. Have you, how have you not lost yourself in this? You know, you've given so much of yourself yeah. to everyone else yeah. around you. Like you know, motherhood, full stop. Mm, have you no actually had time for yourself? No. Yeah, like, I don't think no. No. Yeah. I sung Hallelujah the other day when I got my nails done down at Nail Innovations. Yeah, girl, says, show me those nails. Oh, they're just clean. They're yeah, just clean nice. at the moment. So yeah, they, you? when your nails are put together, the rest of me can literally be falling apart and I, I look down at my nails no, and I'm like, everything's fine. I've Hang on, I'm just going to pick up my film. Yeah, totally. But you know what I mean? Like, we lose so much of our identity yeah. so easily in motherhood when yeah. there's no cancer involved, for goodness yeah, sake. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, no, no. And then you're doing it on your own with a really unwell child. Yeah. Like, I still so feel like unwell. you have so, you, you you are you and you are unapologetically yeah, you. Yeah, and I'm you just are. like, how have you kept that? Um, I have a really strong mum and a really strong mm. grandma that mm. I think it's just gone through. Yeah. Honestly, I do. Like, I am me and I break and that's fine. And you put yourself back together again and, and you do all these things. Like, it's so fine to, to, to do that and to not to lose your shit. I've got a really beautiful family. Yeah like incredibly supportive yeah. and very open. 
But also it, it does come down to me. Yeah. You know, it is me that it's happened to. I just want to say that it's really refreshing to hear the way that you look at yourself and reflect on yourself because that to me is a massive learning curve mm, for anyone. people in general. <laughs> yeah. Like I have not been through any of what you've gone through. Yeah. But I do deal with anxiety, yeah. which is frightening, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the way you describe yourself driving the bus and the way that you accept yourself of who am I today, Yeah, you are accepting every angle of yeah. yourself every day. Mm. And what I never accept is the not okay, Jade. Yeah. I only accept yeah. if you've got your shit together, Jade. Totally. And if I don't have that, yeah. then something must be wrong. Yeah. But there are times where yeah. you can have a day yeah. where you are yeah. not okay or yeah. you're worried or you're anxious yeah. or you're really happy or you yeah. feel fucking sexy. Yeah. You can be 100%. any of that. And that is brilliant. Yeah, because every part of you is amazing and incredible and, and should be shown and should be appreciated and accepted. I have so much anxiety based on, like, social anxiety. Even. Oh, I bet. Maybe you just don't know that, though, but you just have to go, I need to get through this. Otherwise, like, I've got to do this for my child. Like, she needs, like, I'm raising her alone and I've got to, I've got to get, get it together. And, but I also don't have to get it together. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, too, because we are not all perfect. We are all dealing with stuff, whether it's like you think you've got a fat gut or your boobs are saggy or you feel hot and you, or you feel confident or you feel passionate or you want to get in and make heaps of food or you want to eat food. Like there's just so much that we can do, you know, and just accept it yourself. Like go, okay. The other day, for instance, I was like, nah, I'm not doing it today. I don't, I don't really feel like it. So the, the brook, was like, okay, Brooke, let's get morbid. Let's watch, let's listen to some dark jazz. Good on you. You wanted to feel it. Let's listen to some dark jazz because I think we have to, and I used to say to Joel all the time, he would just be so beside himself with fear of passing away. And that, and then he'd go, oh no, I can't feel that. I need to be positive. I'm like, yes, you motherfucking can feel that. You absolutely Mm. can feel that. And I'm here to help you feel that because it's shit. And it's, it's so sad and you should be angry and you should feel that because you're a human and it's you and it's your life and you've got no say over it. Yeah. And the moment you stop doing that is the moment you get anxiety because yeah. then it's like, hang on, why are we putting up walls? Why yeah. can't I feel sad? Why yeah. can't I feel scared? Yeah. Why? What, is that weird? Why am, why am I? Is that is that not okay to well, Let's panic like about that. it. Let's panic about it and overthink about it and think that I'm a shit person because I feel like that. So then I'd go, I'd sit with him, I'd hold his hands, I'd, I'd help him feel that and then i go, okay, cool. It's you time now. I'm going to go for a walk. I go to the food shop. I said, when I come back in an hour, we're going to get up. We're going to make some food. And we're just going to have a wine and we're going to put on some music. Mm. And he's like, okay, cool. So he knew he knew for Joel it worked because it was a time limit. And you have to break through those times. And you give him permission to feel, but there's Absolutely. going to be a time at the end, end where we're going to move on to something else. And you're going else. to feel yeah. okay because you're going to express how you feel and you're mm. going to get it all out. Then you're going to be okay again because that's what's going to happen, you know? And if there's anyone listening who maybe, you know, their child has recently had a diagnosis of cancer or or maybe another illness, I can only imagine how isolating that feels. Do you have any 
words of advice mm. of how to get through each day? Anyone that, you know, has just had a child or anyone mm. for that matter, finding out that there is something horrific that you've never been through before and you feel like the wind is out of you and you want to vomit and we at the same time, mm. it's okay. Like whatever the whatever the outcome is, like you're going to do your best ask questions, advocate for yourself, advocate for your child, get knowledgeable, like get get knowledgeable, get right in there with knowing about the cancer or the symptoms or the drugs they're having or what can alleviate them from feeling anything. So Peachy's got a great nausea regime because I'm onto it. I ask the nurses what they're doing, like take yourself into it. And also watch a lot of murder documentaries on oh, Netflix. You're, you're a psycho. <laughs> We've got a psycho on the podcast. It's so deepy darky sometimes. <laughs> what, because it, like, reminds you that people can die no, of other because, things? No because, no, because it just reminds me that I'm a good person. You know, like, I'm not, like, going out there and, like... I haven't killed six people yeah, today, so I'm doing all balcony, right. Yeah. Like, but it kind of is interesting, you know, anything that intrigues you. But I just think you ask questions, lean on people, but be honest and true about your feelings. Don't hide them. Talk about it. And I know it's really difficult for a lot of generations, like, to not talk or feel like you can't burden other burn people. Another people. Yeah. And that's totally natural too. And just know that that's natural. But people want to help. Mm. People want to mm. know. And sometimes that can make someone's day helping you, having those moments with you and just, yeah, hugging the shit out of your children and passing them. Mm. Well, from from the bottom of my heart, I just want to sincerely thank you because I know you wouldn't wish this upon anyone, but if it were to happen in the weirdest way, I'm almost glad it did happen yeah. to you because yeah. Joel and Peachy yeah. are so lucky to have a human being wow. like you and you to love them the way you have. And I think a lot of people after this episode and probably before this are very lucky to have someone like you in their life. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.